Hi, Collier for Thomas Matters Radio. Sponsored today, Omega Processing Solutions. Headquartered right here in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. At Omega Processing Solutions, their guiding purpose is building prosperity one life at a time. Since 2003, Omega has provided electronic payment processing, business-to-business, and e-commerce payment solutions, mobile pay, point-of-sale systems, short-term capital funding, and gift card or customer loyalty programs to thousands of businesses across the United States. Omega has an A-plus BBB rating and is a member of the organization's leadership circle of companies. You can contact them in Fort Thomas, Kentucky at 866-888-9724. That's 866-888-9724. Omega Processing Solutions. Unsurpassed value, unmatched support. On the show today, Connie Grubbs, candidate for District 1 Campbell County Commissioner. So Connie is here in the Fort Thomas Matters Living Magazine Palatial Studios. Connie, <laughs> it's beautiful. This is the first time you've been here. It is, yes. Yeah, first yes. impressions of the Highland Building, right in the central business district, the heart yep. of it. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your impression? I think it's great. I think small businesses like this that have a community and a, and a, a sense of organizing around a central location are really important in, in community and in building our economy. Yeah, we love it here. Um, so Connie is the uh, Democratic candidate for District 1. Uh, she does not have a primary. Correct. Um, the primary component in that field is is pretty crowded. It is. There's there's four uh, Republicans on that side and also an independent. Yes, sir. So it's going to be a three-way race when, when we get to your election in November. Yeah, the general in November. But what I want to do, I don't, I don't want to talk about the primary because that really doesn't have anything to do with you at this point. So I kind of want to get to know you a little bit. You're sure. a Fort Thomas resident. I am. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so I'm a mom of two beautiful children. I have a five-year-old son, Xander, and a seven-year-old daughter, Quincy. Um, my daughter attends Moyer right now, and my son will next year as a kindergartner. Um, my husband teaches dance, he teaches ballet at Cincinnati Ballet in downtown Cincinnati. I am a stage manager, so I work backstage at Cincinnati Opera every summer. And the rest of the year, I'm a stay-at-home mom on the PTO board, very involved in, in the school um, as much as I can be, because I think that's really important. That's how you build community, and that's how you, that's how we make changes, right? We get involved. We jump in with both feet, which is one of the reasons I'm running. Yeah, so, and then... What I've kind of learned from you, I, I've learned from your social media presence. You've got, you've got your website up and working. Mm-hmm. You, you seem to be pretty savvy in those areas. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, call it savvy yet. <laughs> well, so I, what I want to do is, is really get to the heart of the matter first and just say, you know, why are you running? You kind of talked about jumping in with both feet, and that's yeah. what you're doing right now. So um, with this past few election cycles, I've noticed that if you're not being the change you want to see in the world, you're not, you're not doing your job as a citizen of this country. Um, so that's part of the reason. Um, the other part of the reason is I want my children to grow up in a Campbell County that is thriving, that is forward-moving and forward-thinking while still maintaining the, the beauty of the southern part of the county and um, making sure all of that is still intact, that we still have family farms we can count on down there. Um, I think it's really important to have a, a pride in our heritage and our past, but also be forward-thinking. And I see a little bit of a lack of that sometimes um, in the, on the fiscal court, current, the current makeup. So you talk about um, in some of your materials that the, the need for government officials to be able to have the ability to look into the future and see um, you know, what impact those decisions may have. 20, 
10, 20, 30 years down the road. Right. Um, so talk about that a little bit. I know you kind of talked about sure. the southern end of the county and, and having those four, that foresight to be mm-hmm. able to make those decisions and, and preserve what they, those we have in the county. Yeah, so two, two examples that I can think of right now. One of them is the needle exchange program, and the other is how we take care of our roads, right? So with the needle exchange program, we've been talking about how we have an opioid epidemic for like a decade. It's been a while. Um, The state legislature passed, I believe it was in 15, they passed the ability for local governments to have a needle exchange program. And it took until, I think it was 17 or even 18. No, it was a while before the local government passed that legislation or the the resolution so that local communities could open needle exchange programs. And for me, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if that had all happened sooner, all of it sooner, then we wouldn't have the HIV and hepatitis C outbreak we're seeing now in this area. And that endangers my kids at the playground. It endangers our first responders. It endangers everyone because of that lack of foresight. Look, no one wants to, quote, enable users. I get that. I understand that argument. But we're talking about protecting our community, and that includes everybody in our community. That includes the drug users, our children, our first responders. And so on your website, too, even if you know you don't come at it at that angle and talking about to the prevention angle, mm-hmm. um, getting in front of this issue could help the taxpayer as well. I think you absolutely. Mentioned that. So we so when we look at roads, for instance, um, there there was um, a while back they switched to all salt on the roads. It's cheaper overall than salt and maybe the ash that with the combo that had been used before. It may have saved the county a hundred thousand dollars, which is great. That's a great savings for the county. However. When we break that down by road maintenance, salt is tougher on the roads. It's tougher on road maintenance, and it's tougher on our cars. So what does that do to the people who drive the roads in Campbell County? So we have to look at these issues, not just let's save a dollar today, but let's save $300,000 for everyone down the road. And I think that that lack of foresight and unintended consequences is really damaging. So and I'll talk about infrastructure and public transportation because those seem to be highlights that you're kind of hitting on on a, on a routine basis. I want to go back a little bit to the needle exchange. Sure. So um, that resolution that was passed that you talk about in 15, mm-hmm. um, essentially it gave local control to the extent of, you know, the county had to pass it and then... Uh, whatever city or municipality within that county had to pass it. We just got that. We just got it. Uh, in Campbell County when the Newport Commission Correct. signed off on it, uh, I think two months ago yes. or so. Yeah. So here's here's kind of the inside baseball that I want to get your take on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the delay in Newport, um, essentially the fiscal court wanted it to be down at the health department headquarters um, where the health department is right there, the fiscal courthouse. Um, some of the members of that commission uh, did not agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the, the compromise was let's put it on the satellite campus at Saney, which is right on the border of Newport and Fort Thomas. Right. Um, where do you come down on that? Where Where do you, uh, do you do, did you have a preferred location? Um, if so you were on th- Thank court. you for asking me. <laughs> um, I think this is a really important issue and I think we have a health department because they're health experts. We should listen to our health experts in this in this arena, most especially. So the reason that the health department wanted it at the health department, because they had an array of services there. They have one location where everyone knows where they can go to get the services they need, and it's more comprehensive overall. They have more touches with those with that community, and that's really important. When we move to a satellite, like a van, first of all, we're partnering with St. E. So right there, there's an issue with women's health. 
And one of the ways you stop and prevent an HIV and hepatitis C outbreak is by providing condoms to people who might be having sex with multiple partners. And that's one way we stop that in its tracks, right? St. E's will not partner with the needle exchange in that way, which is not ideal. It's not serving the community as best it could. Also with a remote location, it's, it, thankfully this one is not a moving location because there are some that move around. So they need to have, they need to maintain certain hours. There's also a stigma attached for this community. If they're going in for clean needles, there's a stigma attached. Everyone knows what they're going into that mobile unit for. Whereas if you're sitting at the health department, you might be there to vaccinate your child and get some free needles. Because if you, if you think that the only people this is affecting are people without children who are homeless, you are misinformed and you need to get informed on this issue. So, and then you talked about women's health. I want to, I want to talk about, um, you know, the fact that you are a woman. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this year I saw an article, I think it was CNN, that said uh, there's twice as many women that are running at a national level um, mm -hmm. in 2018 versus 2016. Um, you can kind of see that trend in Campbell County a little bit. We have more, not a lot, but we have mm -hmm. more women candidates. Yes, we um, do. Speak, speak to that a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to talk identity politics. Being a woman is not the only thing I am. I'm a mother to, you know, a parent. Um, you're a parent. We talked about how you got to go pick up your kid, right? It's yep. like, it's that tango. And I think that being a woman is important a little bit, but I think it's not why I'm a candidate. It's not why I'm running. Um, I'm running because I'm passionate about issues and I'm passionate about helping people. And I want to see everyone in our community rise up. So I, I've seen a couple of videos, uh, one of, of you on CNN. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and then I, I saw some uh, pictures of you participating. You're a participant in the process. Yes. Um, that seems like it's an important theme. Um, you jump in with both feet. Mm -hmm. This is, uh, you know, in, in, on the CNN uh, aspect, you were uh, part of, you know, the, the organization that was happening. I can't actually remember what it was at that uh, point. It was but. a rally. It was a rally um, putting people before profits. In Covington. In Covington. Yep. At Hotel Covington. And then um, recently, I want to talk a little bit about the what you um, observed through the General Assembly of mm -hmm. 2018. You went down in Frankfurt. You watched. You went with public employees and teachers. Yep. Um, give me your overall impressions of, of how you feel like things uh, ended up with the 2018 General Assembly. Um, I'm really disappointed over and over again that our elected officials... Are, seem to not be really be listening to their constituents, especially people who are invested in those specific systems. To not listen to teachers who are saying, we need a budget that is not balanced, and from my perspective, that is not balanced on the back of middle and lower income people is a big deal. And it's just incredibly frustrating to see those legislators not listen. And I think part of this is because people get comfortable in office. You know, Will Schroeder, who is our state senator, um, sent a letter and it said, you know, uh, the first paragraph was about how a person came to speak to him and when he was a young person and the easiest thing to do to get reelected is to do nothing. I sympathize with that. I get it. And I get that the pension needed some, I'm talking specifically about teacher pensions now. I understand that it needed help. Um, but there are ways to find funding that nobody was willing to listen to. It never, some of these things never got through committee. Um, gambling, um, legalizing marijuana, medicinal or recreational, none of these things were looked at. And instead, they, they balanced a budget with a 6% sales tax on veterinary services for small animals, but not for large animals. So like horse racing wasn't affected. 
Um, and those are people with a ton of money. Now, there's small farms like like, like Anna Zincon's farm, Missy Ridge. You know, I, I don't want to see it balanced on her back and the back of her business either. So we need to look at a fair, equitable, and progressive tax system that is able to fund and do all the things we need to do that our government has has a constitutional obligation to do, which is fully fund education. So talking about, you, you talked about 151, that's the pension bill. Mm -hmm. um, briefly, bill. <laughs> <laughs> briefly about the budget bill, which is HB 200. Mm -hmm. um, I think locally, the, the thing that we kind of a little bit dodged the bullet on was the SERS phase in, right? Mm -hmm. um, as a fiscal court candidate, mm -hmm. um, talk about the SERS phase in and how we, I guess, kind of dodged a bullet on that. Um, I have been so focused on the teacher stuff that it's hard for me to wrap my brain around this one. Um, I know that I was at the local, uh, the city council meeting in Dayton, and their budget, when they passed the first round of pension reform, their budget skyrocketed. So they had a billions of dollars extra to pay for some of these pensions. And again, it's, it's balancing a budget at the state level on the backs of local municipalities. It's problematic, um, especially when they're not planning for that. They, have, they had previously no plans to pay for those pensions or to, or to buy into those pensions. Um, and I think that that's really, that's really tough uh, to do to local governments and municipalities. Yeah, I mean, you look at you know, some of the, Fort Thomas gets the 4% um, every year that's passed pretty easily. So they run a conservative budget. So we're able to kind of you know, absorb that hit. But mm -hmm. in Fort Thomas specifically, we're looking at an estimated, if that uh, veto was not overridden, mm -hmm. six to $700,000 just this year alone. Right. You're talking about the school districts having to chip in 200000 So in Fort Thomas, we're, we're talking specifically a million dollars that we kind of, you know, we will mm -hmm. have to pay, but mm -hmm. we can phase that in now. Yeah, and the other thing, um, we were talking about teacher pensions, because that's really where, um, because of my children are in school, and that is something I'm passionate about is public education, I was looking at the I don't know if you've seen the map of Kentucky, where any of the any of the maps or districts that were white could remain solvent for the next two years based on that adding two percent pensions. There are maybe twenty districts in the entire state, maybe thirty. So what do you, what is solvent. what does that tell you? Um, you know, do you feel like that uh, there there was an a an assault on public education? Do you feel like that was um, you know by design? Okay, so at the risk of my tinfoil hat showing. Um, my conspiracy theories. Uh, no, but I think, I think that there is a definite move towards privatization of all sorts of things that the public sector has been traditionally taking care of in this country. And I find it really dangerous in, in parts where we look at education and um, when we look at private prisons. Whenever you put people into a system where the primary goal is to make money, you're not serving those people. You're not serving those students. You're not serving those prisoners and keeping them as safe as they could be or, or making sure that they're not reincarcerated. And that is incredibly problematic. And I do see a systematic dismantling, not just in Kentucky, but it's across the country. Um, I, was, I just attended um, a candidate training, a national candidate training in DC this past weekend. And it's all over, over and over again. There's a move towards charter schools and vouchers and taking those public funds and moving them into private entities where the, where the goal for those companies is to make money. And it's been problematic in Ohio, which is right across the river. I, I'm sure people have heard about on the local media um, from Cincinnati, um, that charter school that closed, that served 
hundreds of thousands of students, and they all, and it just closed overnight. And all those students need to, needed to go to public education because it is the public education system that will educate every child. I want to go back to one of the themes that seems to be important with, with you is public transportation. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of fits into the theme of, of seeing into the future and how do we kind of skate to the puck as opposed to, you know, skating to where the puck is going to be versus skating to the puck. Right. Um, talk about, um, you know, your ideas for how we integrate public uh, transportation and within our community here. I like a little yours. bit better. Yeah, I like your analogy of skating to where the puck will be and not where the puck is. Um, I didn't say really it right, good. though. Well, but I get it. I get it. I, it made sense to me. Um, so we look at, well, first let's talk about millennials and the younger generation. They're not driving as much. And so if we want to make sure that they are able to get to work and are trained and are being where they need to be, then we need public transportation. Um, we look at things like Uber and Lyft. Um, again, that these, these systems are here to help people. Um, so I think a strong, strong public transportation system is incredibly important. It, it brings in jobs. It makes our community more connected in, in, a, in a number of ways. It connects people to where, from their homes to where, where the work is. And let's face it, unless wages start to increase, they've been stagnant for forever, it feels like, um, people aren't gonna be able to afford a house, a car, a retirement, healthcare, education. I mean, those are taking care of aging parents. Like we're, we're at a point now where everyone's just getting by and public transportation is something that can help people rise up. So I saw um, a, a pretty cool course study the other day. Um, it was a, I think it was probably Dayton, Ohio, maybe a community up there where they were essentially trying to get people to change behavior. Hmm. And so what they were trying to do was uh, they were planning these, um, you know, public concerts, kind of like Fort Thomas has at the yeah. Amphitheater, and they the were, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, by the way. Um, but they were doing this, and they were having them on Saturdays, and they were basically saying, you know, I want you to try to attempt to, um, you know, don't take a car down there, mm -hmm. ride your bike, do a ride share, make sure that whatever you're doing to get down to this concert, you're not, you know, getting in the getting habit in of car, getting in parking, your car, going right. down there and parking. And so I think that's really interesting to me, mm -hmm. um, changing behavior. Because I think, too, like to your point, the millennial generation, like they don't want cars. Um, you know, they, if you go after you graduate from Highlands and then you go somewhere else, you go mm -hmm. to D.C. or Chicago or New York or wherever, and then you come back, it's a bummer to not have your car and then have to get in your car when you live in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, right. or in Campbell County, and you, you rely on it. Mm -hmm. um, there's some other studies that, that I think you've probably read as well where, you know, bike, biking communities, um, mm -hmm. how much that kind of helps with the local economy yeah. because we're sitting in our central business district right now. There's a lot of empty space over the last couple of years. There's businesses that have failed, there's businesses that have popped up, mm -hmm. but the central theme is that the businesses aren't staying static. I right. mean, they're not doing well for a long period of time. And, and maybe, um, you know, if you have a bike friendly community, um, where you're not worried about parking yeah. and you're worried about, you know, is that kind of what you're talking about a little bit? Yeah. There's also urban models that, um, sorry, I think I just kicked you. Um, <laughs> there's also urban models that have, um, really interesting structures of how the city is itself is designed and structured that kind of encourage walking and biking and public transportation over driving your car. Because you're right, people in cars, we're all isolated in our little car silos. We're less of a community. Um, you know, I walked here 
you know, I saw a police officer, I waved people, you know, like there's, there's, there's something to being a member of your community by being in community spaces. And when we're in our cars, we're not that way. Um, so the, there's, um, there's an initiative called Strong Cities. And one of the things, one of their main questions they ask is when you go out and look at your main business district or, or the area in your city that's downtown, do you see more cars or more people? Because that's really indicative of how strong your city is. So uh, one thing, going, coming, bringing it back to Campbell County a little bit and, and what it would look like if you were on fiscal court, you talk about transparency, mm -hmm. you talk about honest debate and conversation. Yes. Um, talk about why you feel like that's lacking now and, and how it would look like if you were on fiscal court. So the current, the current makeup of fiscal court are four people who I'm sure they mean well, I'm sure they're there for the best of intentions. Um, I, I, think, I think overall people in government have been in government for too long and I think that we need to start looking at who, who is there and how long all across the board, not just at, at Campbell County Fiscal Court. But you've got four middle-aged white men who are all either business owners or lawyers or, or of that ilk. You've got no different perspectives. Um, their parents, some of them are parents. I think all of them are parents. Um, but the perspectives aren't, the ideas aren't fresh. The perspectives aren't different. Um, and I think it's really important that, you know, our government works best when we have different, different people from different walks of life sharing ideas, debating ideas, and coming at things from different different ways, different perspectives. And I think that is what is really lacking locally. So I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Please, let's do it. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> so it, there's been no secret that in northern Kentucky, Kentucky in general, but northern Kentucky it has been a Republican stronghold. Yeah. Um, you've got all four members of fiscal court that you talked about um, being a Republican. Um, that, that trend is, um, it feels like the pendulum is swinging back a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but talk about being a, a Democrat in Campbell County, in Fort Thomas, um, and, and the ability um, to, to be able to win. So I think the pendulum is swinging a little bit. I think there are people moving in here in, in northern Kentucky and in Campbell County who have been other places and seen the way government works in different places and, and, and don't have a certain team jersey. I think that more and more people are shedding their team jerseys because there's the two big parties are not serving the community in the way that they need to. Too often we're putting party above people, politics above people, and I think that is so wrong. Um, I'm a Democrat that says any old blue just won't do. I'm not loyal to the team jersey which I probably get, will get in trouble since I'm on the executive committee, but they know that about me, right? This is not a surprise. Um, you know, I've had com wonderful conversations with Anna Zinkon. I have her sign in my yard right now, her, her um, primary sign. Um, I think she's a great candidate. She's running for the right reasons. I support her in that. She's a Republican. We disagree on some things. We disagree on some big things, but ultimately we believe in putting people first, and that's what this is all about. Um, I think that most young people are registered independent because both parties have left them behind. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I'm, like I said, I don't, I don't have a team jersey. Um, I, I am a Democrat because I believe mostly in most of the Democratic values and the Democratic platform. Um, and that's it. And you don't have a primary, which is awesome for you. It is awesome for me. Yes. Although I kind of wish I did. You know, I think the more people that are involved in the system, the more we get to talk about issues and, you know, what... What, there's more that there's more, much more that we have in common 
with our neighbors who are red or blue or purple or independent or whatever color, green, libertarian, whatever. We have way more in common. Um, I, I reached out to the Tea Party people a while back about NAFTA because I think NAFTA should be renegotiated and I wanted to open that dialogue with them. I'm a super progressive. Like I, I have no, I was, I supported Sanders, Bernie Sanders in the primary and you know, I, I think that, that economic populism is really important, but it's all about people. It's not about my party. So, Connie, how do people connect with you? Um, I am on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, because I'm so cool, um, at Connie Kamish. So it's C-O-N-N-I-E-C-O-M-M-I-S-H. I like alliteration. Um, also, it's ConnieKamish at gmail.com. And then your website? ConnieKamish at gmail.com. Okay. So, Connie Grubbs, she is the Democratic candidate for District 1. You will not see her on the ballot in May. You will see her name on the ballot in November. Uh, there will be a three-way race with that. There are four um, candidates from the Republican side. One will come out victorious in that May primary. There is an independent candidate, and then Connie will be there on the Democratic side. And are you going to go? Have you ever been to the ballot draw before? Do you know how they do it? No. You don't know how they do it? No. They just pull the names out of a hat, right? Well, like... <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a coffee can that yeah. has been around, <laughs> not kidding, since the 80s. That's amazing. Uh, and they pull ping pong balls out of it. And it's nice. it's about as inside baseball, Campbell County politics as you can get. Nice. I'm usually the only one that goes. but um, <laughs> Maybe you'll have a date this year. <laughs> maybe I'll see you there. So Connie Grubbs, thanks so much. And yep. uh, we'll, see you, we'll see you around the political trail. Thanks, Mark.